I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Matt here. Guess what's happening on this week's binge list? What you're seeing, like, it's, it is real. Like, that's really how they were, and if not worse, I guarantee 100% that the people who are defending them have not been on the receiving end of their behaviour. They really were just awful people. It's going to be gory, it's going to be bloody, it's going to be camp. Oh my god, this is straight from the Unreal Playbook. One one of the actresses in particular who's a bit one note and, and kind of delivers every line like this and it's really, really loud and really, really in your <laughs> face. Matt, I know you're going to disagree with me. Well, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Welcome to Binge List, your favourite Aussie TV podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Denby, and joining me as always are Who Magazine's TV gurus, Gavin Scott and Claire Rigdon. Welcome, guys. Hello. And we, Howdy. And we've also got a very special guest this week, The Bachelor's very own Vanessa Sunshine. Welcome, Vanessa. Hi, guys. Now, The Bachelor is well and truly back in the headlines. It might just be the most controversial season ever, with allegations of bullying, plenty of drama, and some very memorable moments. Vanessa, how's life been treating you since you left the mansion? It's a little bit different being recognised, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Headed down Chapel Street the other day, trying to eat my Messina ice cream by myself, and I got stopped every 10, 20 metres. But for the most part, it's been really good. I think people, well, not everyone, but most people have kind of been like, oh, yeah, she was a woman doing her own thing on there, and I can respect that. And I think that that's, that's really nice. Now, you re- received a lot of attention for announcing your full name on several occasions, which I, which I loved. <laughs> was that a, de- this is the cynic in me, was that a deliberate ploy for brand recognition? I'm going to let everyone know I'm Vanessa Sunshine. <laughs> Look, guys, I'm not silly. It was something they asked me before we even went filming if they was they, you know they said oh we really love your face can we use it i'm not stupid guys i thought it was going to be milked for all it's worth <laughs> fine. i was fine with it. it it is my name and i mean i didn't stand out saying it on repeat for 20 times <laughs> a little bit of creative editing in there but yeah look i did go in and introduce myself with my full name and well worked for me didn't it everyone remembers yeah, it, it. But also, if your surname was Sunshine, why wouldn't you? It's the best. <laughs> so, yeah, like I'm, I think it's like, it's funny. It's like now people say my full name every time <laughs> they see me. So it's a little bit weird. It's fine. So tell me Vanessa Sunshine, <laughs> what made, which I will now refer to you as for the rest of the show. What made you want to do the show? Like what were you kind of hoping to get out of the whole experience? Look, I'm just someone who I really, really, really try to trust my intuition, even if it doesn't make sense at the time. I just try to follow it. And I know it sounds, it might sound silly, but I really just did have this gut feeling to just apply. I, I just applied online like everyone else. And I was lucky enough to be selected. Um, my dating life, I wouldn't say it's bad, but it hasn't been great. <laughs> so I was kind of thinking, oh, 
Like, it might be nice to have someone else pick someone for me, and I was open to it. Prince is, like, I think when you watch me, is I really never went in there with this preconceived idea that this man was going to be the one. I never mm-hmm. stepped out of that limbo. Limbo, oh my goodness. Limo. <laughs> already thinking, yep, it's him. That's the one. I never thought like that. So I was open to getting to know someone, but I kind of always understood the bigger picture and always got that it was like a mixed journey as well. And when it was my time to go, it was my time to go. And there was no hard feelings or anything like that. I was just like, okay, he's not for me. I'm not for him. That's all right. Now, Vanessa, how do you feel that Nick is coming out after all of this? Is it true that he's been very heavily edited to present a more appealing image? Ooh, oh, hitting question. <laughs> that was a hard question. I haven't heard that one. Is what uh, we see what, what we get? Well, obviously, I assume like everyone, there's more to someone than just what you're seeing on television. From what I got, like, yeah, he wasn't really for me. And yeah, he really does talk like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's a nice guy at the end of the day. Like, he's not an awful person or anything like that. Um. I mean, I think I suppose I kind of get what you mean. Like, he's definitely not the traditional bachelor type and they've really had to sell the public on him. I think that that's kind of, in a, in a way, almost a little bit refreshing as well. Yeah, he's, he's a nice guy and good on him as well because I think it's, it must be really shitty to put yourself in that position and have people judge you so harshly as he's literally had to say to an entire nation, I know I'm not good looking. I know you're not what I thought you were going to get. Not just mm. the girls, but he's had to say that to an entire nation. And I think like that, that would hurt. Um, so like, good on him. You, you realise pretty quickly that he wasn't for you or, or that's what I'm assuming from the show. Do you think some of the women who maybe aren't, aren't that into him are kind of staying on the show thinking, well, if I hang around long enough, I might get on Bachelor in Paradise? paradise look i'm not going to speak to other people because i don't know what's going on in their heads but yeah look i think it's a little bit contradictory when you know other people have come out and they're saying not very nice things about his appearances and things like that when it's not the tune that they were singing in there you know yes what i said to him it wasn't nice but i i think you can tell i never said it in a malicious way and i said those things to his face but I genuinely did not know who Nick was. I didn't know that I figured it out when I was eliminated afterwards, but that was his trademark look and things like that. So, Vanessa, how did you find the the producers while you were on the show? Were they kind of just in the background and you were aware of them or were they quite um, involved day to day and, and, you know, steering people's behaviour and, and, you know, having little chats to them and things like that all the time? Uh, I don't think they steer people's behaviour. I think everyone is accountable for themselves. But yes, the producers are there. They have to produce a show. So you do see them a lot. They, you know, tell you what you're kind of doing for the day. Um, Yeah, they're they're lovely. It literally takes a village to make that show work. Producers, which is something I I had no idea about. So that was very eye-opening. But no, they're lovely. Like, they've got a job to do at the end of the day as well. And I suppose they're the ones that kind of make it, don't they? Now, uh, Kat was constantly alluding to her jewellery business during the show. <laughs> and, a, and a few other people seem mm. to be sort of angling to set themselves up uh, business-wise mm. post-show. Um, Vanessa, do you think that sort of thing was a motivation for a lot of the women on the show? a massive life say that any girl in there and coming out of it wouldn't be open to any opportunities whatsoever like I think that that's 
a bit silly to say that they wouldn't. Um, yeah, how more specific do you want me to get? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just think there's, there seems to be a really strong public perception there. At least a proportion of the women who've gone on this season seem to be really blatantly angling for, like, you know, Instagram fame and perhaps weren't genuinely interested in Nick. Look, I'm not going to like really single out certain people, but yes, I do think that there were people in there that that was their main objective which isn't really surprising when you think about it yeah now now you mentioned the drama that's been going down and obviously there was a whole lot of drama Mm. last week on the show what did you make of Kat Romy and Alicia um you know what was it like being around them was it unpleasant being around them or you know were they as bad as we're kind of led to believe oh being pretty vocal before in my other interviews what you're seeing like it's it is real like that's really how they were and if not worse And look, I've heard some of their interviews coming out and things like that. And they definitely were friends with other girls in the house. Like, I'm not saying that they were nasty to everyone, but they were nasty to myself and especially to Neil as well. And I can kind of get how, you know, they're saying, oh, I'm not like this and this and that. And, you know, their friends and family are jumping to their defense and things like that. And and that's completely normal. That's, I would expect nothing less, but... I guarantee 100% that the people who are defending them have not been on the receiving end of their behavior. They haven't received it themselves. And, you know, it's just disgusting. I just, it really was horrible. And then people are commenting, oh, Vanessa looks like shitty all the time. She doesn't sound, uh, duh. Like, I was around people I didn't like who were being nasty all the time. Like, I wasn't happy to be in their presence. So, yeah, I look a bit sour. (laughs) I'm thinking, get away from me. Um, (laughs) They really were just awful people. And, you know, I've been watching them saying, oh, like, we apologize for anything that we said and did that's offended people. And we actually did a scene about this when we were in the house during filming, and I was a bit annoyed it didn't make it to air. So they did apologize, all three of them, to... Shannon and Blair, when Shannon and Blair came to me. Yes, they went and apologised to them. And Shannon and Blair were very neutral about the situation. And I said, good for you guys. But I'm someone who, and I'm sorry about to swear here, I am someone, fuck me over, you are dead to me, I'm done. And I said, it's nice that they'll go and apologise to you girls, but what about the people that they're actually saying these things about? I was like, I ain't heard no apology. To be fair, I wouldn't accept an apology now because it would just be back. They're just backpedaling and it's to save face because they've absolutely copped it from the public. But I don't know what it is. It's not the first time it's happened to me. So I am very aware that, I don't know, there's something about me that just brings out something in other women. Like, I don't know if it's their own insecurity or whatsoever, but I just think there's a way to deal with it and conduct yourself and articulate yourself where you just don't have to stoop that low. You don't have to hit below the belt all the time. I just think their behavior isn't okay and it's such a cop-out for people like the public to watch this and be like, oh, it's it's fake, it's it's just TV guys, it's, it's producers, it's this and that because it's not. Like this is a real-life thing that happens. Like it is unfortunate and it does happen. You know, there's children across Australia who, you know, in primary school, high school, they would be going through them, these things themselves and unfortunately it transitions into adulthood as well and mm. I hope that like people can maybe watch this and watch 
you know, myself and, and you know, Chanel. Chanel's a lot nicer in how she does it. She always jokes. She's like, oh, Vanessa, you just get your scissors out and start cutting left, right, and side. She's not wrong. I <laughs> do that to people. But <laughs> I just hope, like, people can can maybe watch me and my experience and how I dealt with things and look at it in a more positive light and see, oh, okay, I don't have to, you know, react the same way as other people are reacting. And with Kat, Romy and Alicia, I really think, like, they're not getting a reaction out of me and they're not Mm. used to that. They don't know what to do. And when people can't control you and they can't get a reaction, they then unfortunately try to change how other people perceive you. You know what? It works for them to some degree. But yeah, yeah I, I just I think it's just it's they're just not nice people at the end of the day. Not nice people. Good point, yeah, well wow. made. So for you, I mean, you it's kind of been a bit of a roller coaster. But all up, it was, are you pleased that you took part in the show? I mean, just from that what we just spoke about just then. I mean, it sounds like it's been a great platform for you to be able to kind of talk about some of these issues. Um, but yeah, was it a, was it a good experience? Yeah, overall, like. They didn't ruin my experience or anything like that. It was, you know, I was just a woman. I was trying to suss out if this man was or wasn't for me. And for me, that was what it was about. I wasn't there for other women or to make friends. I mean, it was nice that I did make some friends. But I really was there to meet someone and see if he was the man for me or not. And I think that's what I never really lost sight of and, Mm-hmm. And I realised, oh, okay, he's not for me, and it was okay. Vanessa, I have yeah. a question from one of our, our podcast superfan listeners, Tony, mm-hmm. who wrote in to say he'd love to know, would you be prepared to do The Bachelorette if it were offered to you? <laughs> I've heard this so many times. Um, yes, look, I am open to what other opportunities come my way. Um, bachelorette, if that is an option, I would prefer as a little bit more diversity. I said that before. Yeah, I like a bit more of an ethnic range. Yes, yes, there's been a lot of comment about that. (laughs) Well, all the best in finding the man for you, Vanessa, and thanks very much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure to speak to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, guys. I hope it was okay. (laughs) Thanks, Vanessa Sunshine. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye. And that was Vanessa. Wasn't she great, guys? She's so nice. Lovely. So lovely. Vanessa Sunshine. We, we have to refer to her by her full name from now on. Now, our thoughts on the show, how, how it's been progressing since we last spoke. Now, a lot of people are talking about the breaking of the fourth wall and how that's a really defining feature of this season. The numerous examples of participants leaving the narrative structure to speak to the audience or wink to the audience at seemingly at how fake it is, or maybe to allude to what their real intentions are on being on this show keyword jewellery. <laughs> Guys, do you think this breaking of the fourth wall is a new era of The Bachelor or is it the beginning of the end of The Bachelor? Is it too big of a wink to the audience to say this is all BS? It's definitely a different show now. I mean, I think earlier seasons of The Bachelor and all reality shows, you, you didn't really see, you know, the wizard behind the curtain, like in The Wizard of Oz, ignore the wizard behind the curtain, he's not really there. But now we are seeing exactly what the wizard's doing and we're even seeing producers on air saying, you know, calm down, babe, you're here for the right reasons, babe, which we never would have seen in earlier seasons. It's very much the post-Unreal uh, mm. era for The Bachelor. Um, yeah. Claire, I know you have thoughts about how Unreal has influenced perhaps The Bachelor. I have been wondering how much the ratings increase is due to people discovering The Bachelor via Unreal. 
And I think in some ways it's actually adding to the experience of watching the show. It's adding another layer. I mean, for example, last week when all that stuff happened with Tamil leaving and, and I mean, that, that episode sat a little bit uncomfortably with me because for a lot of different reasons, a lot of which Vanessa just spoke about. But I actually think that it's adding to my enjoyment of the show in a weird way because every time something plays out, I think, oh, now how much is that? The producer's pulling the strings and then when it cuts to the producers, you're like, oh, my God, this is straight from the Unreal playbook. And, I mean, the, the thing is that, you know, it, it kind of feels a bit icky to me, but then I think, well, what's more troubling is, like, if these women are in general in in an actual psychological strain, if they're under that kind of pressure, then that's a bit of a worry, surely. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, look, I find it fascinating. It's definitely a new era and I don't know what to make of it. Certainly the ratings have continued to be good. But is this the beginning of the end? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to find out. And one of the key people who's featured in this whole uh, change in tone is Kat. And she's been seen as an example of the uh, increasing absurdity of the show. The fact that she's clearly playing a role. She's there to be the bitch. She's not in the slightest bit interested in getting Nick, or at least she realises she's got no chance of getting him. So what's she there for? She's there for drama. She's playing it to the hilt. She's inserting her references to the jewellery line at every moment she can, and and they're making it to air, which indicates maybe a deal was done. Who knows? Uh, Gavin, what did you think of that? I, th- I think with Kat, it, it's yeah, it's really interesting. We, when we first talked about The Bachelor a few episodes ago, you know, she was the one we all picked out as, as just being awful. And yes, she's there to play that role. She knows she's there to play that role, and she's playing it with glee. I what I wondered when we saw the producers chatting to those girls and saying, is that all you have to say? I kind of felt like it was the producers going, we want to cover ourselves. We want to show that we're letting them say everything. We're not editing them. We're we're showing you everything they have to say. And I feel like if the producers have to do that, there's kind of a problem. It, it, it almost feels like it's backfiring. They've cast this woman who who is horrible, being horrible. Whether or not she's horrible in real life, I don't know. But she's being horrible on the show. And it's like the producers are having to cover their own ass to go, we're going to show you how we interview her. And that would never would have happened before. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know if, if it can be sustained if now the um, – the mirage of, of how The Bachelor works has been exposed. I don't know, yeah, if next season mm. it can come back and, and do it again because now we know the tricks. Well, I mean, possibly they just can't believe their luck and how well they've managed to cast the series. Like, I sometimes get that feeling watching other reality TV shows. I mean, for example, last year when I watched The Block, I mean, that that series was just chock-a-block full of drama in a way that this year's isn't because they all pretty much get along. Now... I don't necessarily think that the producers knew that all of that was going to unfold. I think that they just got lucky with the way that they cast it and the way that the people that were cast were interacting with each other because really whether you like it or not, it's kind of a dream come true for reality TV producers to be generating this kind of chatter and controversy and to have these really strong characters doing their thing on screen. Yeah, I think perhaps that they had no idea anything was going to play out in the way that it has. But Claire, don't you think it's a little strange that Kat happened to be cast uh, in the same batch of women as uh, another woman who was dating her ex? Didn't you find that a little strange? Yeah, well, do you remember a couple of weeks ago that I just I, I floated out the idea that they do a giant Venn diagram of <laughs> <Yes>. everybody's <laughs> Instagram pages? I don't think that that's 
any kind of accident. In this in this age of, of being able to track everybody on social media, I'm sure that they have some kind of algorithm where they're like, okay, these people have had the same boyfriend. I mean, do you think it's any kind of accident that Cass was in the house? No. Do you think it was any kind of accident that um, Sophie Monk ended up with Stu? She knew Stu already. Yeah, you know, we all know that, that they yeah. Don't yeah, do you think that they don't sit down and go, right, here are the people that Sophie has previously been on dates with. It hasn't worked out for whatever reason. Are there any people that you'd like to see again? I don't know if they have that specific conversation with them or if they just garner it from looking at their social media feed. But I don't know. The cynic in me says that none of this is by accident, but perhaps, but perhaps the controversy that the casting generated took them by surprise. Yeah, I just think it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. I think evolution is good, and, you know, my favourite reality show is Survivor, and it's coming up to season 37 in America because they constantly evolve it. They're not doing the same thing they did, you know, 10 seasons ago, 20 seasons ago. So I think evolution on The Bachelor is good because otherwise it's just same old, same old, but... I just wonder where they can go next. Now that we kind of have seen the machinations behind the scenes, where can they take it next? And where can they take the uh, the bitchy girl trope next season since they've taken it to the absolute hilt this time? Mm. You, can you have someone bitchier than um, Kat? Can you well, have nastier scenes? Yeah. And do people want to see it? What do you think, Claire? Well, I think that the next stage is, is veering into unreal territory. I mean, not to put it out there, but... Can you guys remember what happened in the first series? Like, someone died. I know that that's really dramatic, but, like, if, 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 if in that reasoning, the next step up from that is, like, Serious has serious repercussions. Yeah, well, I don't know. Let's let's hope it doesn't get there because um, yeah, I know. that would be um, that yeah, that would be a horrible case of life imitating art. Um, yeah, yeah I don't, but it does make you wonder. Like it, it makes does. you wonder on Survivor: is someone going to seriously hurt themselves filming that show on the block? Is someone accidentally going to fall through a floorboard and break their neck? Like all of this stuff. You know that these shows have been going for long enough that all of this stuff statistically. It's getting more and more likely to happen. Or am I just a massive negative Nancy <laughs> <laughs> conspiracy theorist? <laughs> Who knows where it's going to go. Now, listeners, what do you think about what's happening on The Bachelor? Please let us know. Get on Twitter and uh, talk to me. I'm Mr. Matt Denby or Claire, who's I am Claire, or Gavin Scott, who's Gavin Scott 99. Hi, this is Angie. And Evie. And we're from Gogglebox. And you're listening to The Binge List. He's the king of camp and the guru of gore. And Ryan Murphy is back with force this week. He's got his new series Pose, now on Showcase, and American Horror Story Apocalypse, starting in the same place on September 13. But before we get into the horror, let's head back to the late 1980s in New York with Pose. It deals with the largely black and Hispanic drag ball and voguing scene. This new drama is very heavily inspired by the classic documentary film Paris is Burning, which is available on Netflix. And that alone has sparked a lot of controversy and debate. Claire, what did you think of Pose? Well, as you know, I'm not the biggest Ryan Murphy fan. Um, and as such, I wasn't the biggest fan of Pose. But in saying that, it's heaps of fun. And when we were discussing whether or not we were going to talk about this series, um, Matt said, you've got to watch Paris is Burning on Netflix, which is the documentary it's all based on. And I did watch that and it was absolutely unreal. It was so good. So then I went back and watched another episode of Pose and I was like, okay, this puts it all in context. So basically for people, yeah, not in the know, I mean, so everyone knows Madonna's song Vogue, right? But not probably not many of us know how the death craze came about. And this is what this is all about. It's about um, a group of trans 
performers and gay guys hanging out in New York in the late 80s doing these ballroom nights where they're kind of like fashion parade dance-off. And that's where voguing was born. And this is a fictionalised version of what was going on, a little bit like what is, is in Paris is Burning, but it's more of a homage. And it's heaps of fun, but not as entertaining as I really would have liked, mostly because, and although the cast is mostly uh, are mostly transgender actors and it's very ethnically diverse and it's really interesting, I'm not sure that the acting's all that good. And I didn't love it because of that. But, you know, even though it's fairly ham-fisted, it's, Sort of still quite a lot of fun, Gav. What did you think? Yeah, I I, I didn't mind it. Um, I, I didn't love it, but and I didn't hate it. I um, I, I found it quite fun. The the battles they have at, at the balls where they have to basically do a walk off against each other under a different <laughs> yeah, theme. It's like Zoolander. They're quite fun. The the costumes are great. That kind of thing. Um, yeah, some of the acting is you know leaves a bit to be desired. I, I think that there's one. One one of the actresses in particular who's a bit one note and and kind of delivers every line like this and it's really really loud and really really in your face, <laughs> kind of no no subtlety to it. Whereas um you know some some of the other um kind of unknown and undiscovered actors and actresses are, are great and it's good to see such new talent and such diverse talent on air. Um also in in this are, are people like James Vanderby, Kate Mara, Evan Peters who are kind of this other world unrelated to the um to, to the world of the balls. And I wondered why that storyline was even in it at first. So it's basically James Vanderbeek works for Trump, works in Trump Tower and he snorts coke and, and yeah. these kind of things. And he employs Evan Peters as, as you know, his new – someone who, who works for Trump. And Evan Peters' character becomes involved with one of the transgender characters. And I, I wondered why we had to have the straight white men or, you know, so, so-called so straight white men uh, in the show at all because it's not really their story. It's the story of the people at the balls. But I guess it, it does show 80s America. In, in you know, in yeah. the 80s America, that it was greed is good. It was everyone out for money and, and you know, work, you know, Trump. It was the rise of Trump. So I guess showing those characters shows this is what was, you know, aspirational for most of the country. And then here's this other kind of world going on in, in the same city that, and, you know, you wouldn't expect them to cross, but the, the paths do cross. So I, I found that kind of interesting in the end. And I think you do need to get into the second episode for all of it to make sense, like you said, Claire. Yeah, look, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. But um, as Claire indicated, I think if you're coming into this raw, please do watch Paris is Burning. It's one of my favourite movies. It's a, it was really big at the time. I remember when it came out, it was quite a big cult movie, an indie movie. But since then, it's just grown and grown and grown and grown mm-hmm. in esteem. The ref- References to this movie are everywhere. If you ever watched uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, it's like they constantly quote this. It's constantly quoted in music. Uh, back at the time, I was first made aware of this because uh, Malcolm McLaren did an album of voguing songs that came out in the late 80s. I love that album and I still play it. And then I eventually saw the movie, thought it was fantastic. I think Pose is quite good. Yes, there is some rough acting in this, but I think that's probably a consequence of the fact that they're giving chances to people who Hollywood doesn't usually give chances to. There's probably not a lot of roles for transgender people and trans people of colour in Hollywood, and this may be some of the first acting work for some of the uh, performers in this film, but I love the authenticity of it, especially considering that the voguing scene has been so heavily mined by Hollywood and music and white performers have appropriated it so much. Probably the most famous 
famous one being Madonna. And the, a lot of the original performers in Paris is Burning weren't very happy at the time because they didn't get paid much for that movie, which went on to earn millions and millions of dollars at the box office. So it's great to see trans performers and people of colour cast centre stage in Pose. Hopefully they're getting paid well because they deserve it. They're fantastic in this. I really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun um, and it's a nice break from um, Ryan Murphy's usual bloodbaths. I'm, I'm really tired <laughs> of seeing those. But we have to talk about the new season of American Horror Story because the trailer's just dropped for Apocalypse. It looks like it's going to be interesting because it's going to tie in some elements of the first season, um, Murder House, and also the Coven season. It deals with the end of the world. It looks like from the trailer that LA gets nuked and various survivors gather underground in a bizarre sort of mansion of some sort where there's some hellish goings on and some Satanism and some witches and all sorts of stuff happening. What did you think of the trailer, Claire? Um, yeah, I mean, as I said before, I'm not a massive Ryan Murphy fan, but yeah, this this trailer looked looked um, pretty horrifying actually, and I, as such, I won't be watching because it's like <laughs> it would scare the living crap out of me. I mean, the interesting thing is that there were shades of some of the scenes in that trailer that looked almost a little bit um, Handmaid's Tale, mm. especially you know the scenes in the second series where they're out in the um, in the sort of no man's land cleaning up that toxic waste, and then there's a couple of kind of um, and there's a couple of bits in it that looked a little bit Walking Dead, you know, with the um, with the zomb- look like what, what looked like zombies ripping off someone's face. So all of that stuff is like a big hard pass for me. Like, no, thank you. But yeah, Gab, what do you reckon? Yeah, it's interesting because normally we would get previews of, of a show like this, but um, because we're so close to America and it's it's kind of a hyped season, they're, they're holding them very tightly. So we haven't actually seen the show. Um, as Matt said, obviously. It, it harks back to previous seasons. Connie Britton is going to be back in this season. Dylan McDermott is going to be back in this season. They were in the first season and haven't been seen since. And then all the American Horror Story players, uh, Kathy Bates, Sarah Paulson, Jessica Lang, uh, Emma Roberts, they're all coming back. So it's kind of like a big reunion. Some of them are playing characters they've played before. Some of them are playing new characters. Some of them are playing both. We're going to see them in, in multiple roles. Uh, so I think if you've ever watched American Horror Story... It probably is going to be a good one to watch because it will tie a lot of those threads together. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be gory. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be camp. So if you like that stuff, great. If you don't, then, yeah, maybe not. Gavin, are you excited about the appearance of Joan Collins in Apocalypse? <laughs> um, are you excited, I wonder? Um, I think I saw her in the trailer for a split second. She yes. gets slapped or something, of course, because Joan, <laughs> Col- jo- Joan Collins getting slapped, that's a given, right? Um, yeah, it- it's interesting that she's been added to the mix um, and Stevie Nicks is back again. Ryan Murphy does have um, the ability to bring in a strange mix of people to his shows, but uh, Joan mm-hmm. Collins must be a huge get for him. Yeah, yeah. Now, people, if you're interested in and American Horror Story Apocalypse. They're both available on Showcase. And please, please, please do check out Paris is Burning. It's available on Netflix. Amazing film. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. The 70th Primetime Emmy Awards are just around the corner and there are a lot of great shows up for gongs. Gavin, what are your hot tips? Um, Well, The Handmaid's Tale, obviously, is is hopefully going to scoop the pool. And I, I know... 
Matt, you're not a fan, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, in the Outstanding Drama category, there are a bunch of great shows. It's pretty much all my favourite shows from the past year and Westworld nominated. There's The Americans, The Crown, Game of Thrones, Handmaids, Stranger Things, and This Is Us, which is kind of like The Good Wife now. It it gets a nomination and it's the only network show to get a look in like The Good Wife used to be. So it's the token network inclusion and Westworld. So I would say The Handmaid's Tale has got to win out standing drama surely but Matt I know you're going to disagree with me well you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong because I think it does deserve to win I just hate the final episode I don't hate the show I thought it was really good I hated the final episode I see it as a complete body of work so I can ignore the disappointment of the last episode and I'm going to say Handmaids does deserve to win and I think the political themes of it are going to help it in Hollywood especially I think it's got a really good chance of winning they do like their uh, the British period stuff so the crown might be in with a chance but what do you think Claire yeah, I think Handmaids would definitely be up there. Um, the Crown, I mean, technically and from a visual point of view, is amazing as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's isn't it interesting with This Is Us? I actually don't think that's a particularly good show, but there you go. Maybe that's me. And I sometimes wonder if things are a little lost in transmission. There's a bit of a rah-rah, America's great, aren't we amazing, aren't we forward-thinking and accepting? And, oh, wow, we've put a fat person on TV and give us an Emmy. Like, there's a little bit of that about that show, I reckon. So, I don't know, that, you, you just never know. Sometimes they do surprising things, the old Emmys It's It's a real tearjerker, that show, um, and, and, yeah, definitely milks it for all it's worth. And... I know people who love it. I think it's one of those love it or hate it type shows. But yeah, it, I hate it. It is really, really flying the flag for, for network TV when everything else is Netflix or HBO or, or that kind of stuff. Now, while we're on the topic of Handmaids, I think there's going to be a big battle going down in the Outstanding Supporting Actress category. We've got Anne Dowd, who won previously, obviously Aunt Lydia. But I don't know. I feel like Yvonne Strahovski, who plays Serena, oh. might take it out this year. And Alexis Bledel is also in there as well. So three of them are nominated. Forget about all. all the other people it's got, got to be someone from handmaids my vote is Yvonne what about you guys oh Yvonne all the way she was nothing short of sensational in the second series I actually think that she was the standout out of everything I mean Elizabeth Moss is roundly amazing but she's also amazing as the you know one of the producers of the series so for me yeah series two of handmaids surprisingly was all about Serena Joy I was just absolutely fascinated and appalled in equal measure by her yeah, Team Serena, I think she's going to win. She should win. Her story arc was a bit all over the place, but that's not her issue. The acting was great. And I think Joseph Fiennes will, will hopefully take it out for Commander Fred Waterford as well. He's nominated in the Supporting Actor category. Speaking of Supporting Actor category, three actors from The Assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story, are nominated in the Supporting Actor in a Limited Series category. Ricky Martin, Edgar Ramirez and Penelope Cruz. Gianni Versace is up for nine Emmys. It's the highest tally. It even beats Handmaid's Tale, which only got eight nominations, and Game Game of Thrones just got seven. How did it get so many nominations? And really, Ricky Martin? I'm sorry. People love Ryan Murphy, don't they, in Hollywood? They absolutely can't get enough of him. Matt, do you have anything to say about Gianni Versace's seeming popularity with the Emmy voters? It's interesting. Uh, I think it's a very sort of celebrity, self-obsessed kind of show and the industry, of course, is going to keep its eye on something that's so um, navel-gazing. I didn't love it. It was trashy fun. It was uh, an interesting view. I didn't dislike watching it, but it's nothing special. Yeah, right. Now, as for limited series, obviously Gianni Versace is there. Also, The Alienist, Genius Picasso, Godless and Patrick 
Patrick Melrose are nominated. We've talked about Patrick Melrose before, and it's kind of my pick to win, even though I didn't love the show. I, I think it's obviously quality. I think it'll come down between Godless and Patrick Melrose. Claire, do you, do you care to weigh in on this category? Oh, I would care to weigh in. I think Patrick Melrose is sensational. It's up there with The Handmaid's as being one of my favourite dramas of this year, mostly because Benedict Cumberbatch is just transcendental. I've always wanted to use that word in a, in a review. He's transcendental as the eponymous Patrick Melrose. I sound like such a massive loser just then. But yeah, he's so amazing in that. And, and yeah, the show itself is really, really great. I mean, it's got some stiff competition. I haven't actually seen Godless. Have either of you guys watched it? No, I haven't, and and we've been talking about it this week because it's up for all these Emmys, and it obviously stars Lady Mary from uh, Downton Abbey, Michelle Dockery, in a Western, so making sure she's not typecast at all, um, doing something yeah. completely different. But, uh, yeah, it's seven episodes, and it, it, it's kind of a standalone series, which is why it's in this category. Um, I, I should check it out because it's ve- very highly nominated, not just for the Emmys, for lots of shows as well. Pass us all by. I feel like it's passed all of us by. No, I, I agree. Now, one category we haven't talked about is Outstanding Comedy Series. There are eight shows up for Outstanding Comedy Series Atlanta, Barry, Blackish, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Glow, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Silicon Valley, and my favourite, <clears throat> Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I can't mm-hmm. call this category. Uh, that was a joke, by the way. I don't like Kimmy Schmidt. Um, I can't call this category. <laughs> I, I kind of feel it might go to Atlanta, though. At Atlanta and Donald Glover, I have a feeling, might get the lead actor in a comedy. It kind of feels like that show has become so relevant and important that it, it's going to get the awards. But I don't know. The Emmys can do funny things sometimes. What, what do you think about Atlanta, Claire? Oh, yeah. I mean, Atlanta, I've never been able to properly get into it, but a lot of my friends are massively obsessed with it. I personally think Curb Your Enthusiasm deserves a shout-out, which is, um, yeah, a little bit weird. Like, it's one of those shows that kind of just quietly snuck up on me. But I actually think that it is funnier than some of the series, you know, before the end of its last run, which was, what, 10 years ago or however long ago it was. It was really, really good. And also, you can't underestimate how much the Emmy voters and Hollywood love a bit of Larry David. Yeah, yeah. I haven't caught up on any of Curb Your Enthusiasm since it's been back. Another show we should mention, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which um, I think it did well at the Golden Globes. And it's on Amazon Prime here, so so the, kind of that platform that, that not many people know about. But uh, it's by the creator of Gilmore Girls. Uh, it's very popular. It's been renewed for a third season. The second season hasn't even aired yet. So it, it could be another one uh, in the running. But, uh, yeah, and, and obviously we haven't talked about Elizabeth Moss, but surely she's going to win Best Actress in a Drama, surely, right? I think so. Is she up against? She is up against Claire Foy from The Crown, Tatiana Maslany, who mm, could be a dark horse because she did play about 567 characters on Orphan Black, (laughs) Sandra Oh, our favourite from Killing Eve. Oh, Sandra, surely she'd have to be Mm, up there. She'd be up there. Kerry Russell, who I love in The Americans, and Evan Rachel Wood from Westworld. But I I don't know. I feel like like Elizabeth is still the front runner for me. Yeah, I feel like June June needs to do it for the sisterhood. It'll be interesting to see next week. Uh, the Emmys are airing Tuesday here, Monday in the US. So it'll be interesting to see what takes away all the gongs. To binge or not to binge? That is the question. Claire, you've been watching Shit's Creek. All four seasons of this show are available on Netflix, and ABC Comedy is now airing the show from the start. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to catch up on this one if it's a guy. It's 
a half-hour Canadian comedy series starring Eugene Levy, who is the dad from American Pie and also um, known as the dude from Best in Show, that movie. He's the creator, along with his real-life son, Daniel, who stars in this as his son um, in the show. So it's basically about a super, super rich family who lose all their money due to a dodgy accountant and end up living in a town called, wait for it, shit. Creek. Now, that's not the way that you would think it's spelled. It's S-C-H-I-T-T. And, uh, yeah, Eugene stars as Johnny Rose, who's the family patriarch. And, uh, you know, he's got this amazingly hilarious wife, played by the always hilarious Catherine O'Hara, who's from a ton of Tim Burton movies. Daniel's his spoiled son, and he also has a daughter, Alexis, played by Annie Murphy. And they're all holed up in this dodgy motel together in Ship Creek a town that Johnny jokingly purchased as a bit of a gag for his son um, because they were so rich. Instead of just faking the deeds and going, ha, oh, I bought you Ship Creek, he actually did actually buy the whole entire town and it's the only asset that he still owns. So off they go to restart their life. Look, this is a bit of a one-trick show and a bit of a one-joke show, but it's still worth a look. And now that Series 5 is in production, if you invest in this early on, you've got stacks and stacks of episodes to keep you laughing in the months and possibly years to come. So, yeah, check it out. What do you reckon, Gav? Have you seen it? I, I, it's been on my list for so long, and when I saw it was coming to ABC, I was like, right, I really have to get onto, onto it now. So I've been watching season one. I do love it um, so far, but, I yeah, I got the impression it may be a one-joke show. I'm about four or five episodes in, and so far I'm enjoying the joke, especially Catherine O'Hara. She is hilarious. So great. All her wigs hilarious but um, wigs that she has names for i love it yeah whether or not it can sustain it that will remain to be seen for me i guess but i get the impression that you dipped out after a while yeah i did actually i first started watching this a couple of years ago maybe over a year and year and a half ago maybe and um when i just uh, logged on to netflix just then to kind of have a little rewatch it was like you're up to episode five i'm about up to where you are so gav it'll be interesting to see if you continue with it and if it does can you tell me whether the joke gets funnier Because it was good, but it wasn't amazing. It's time for this week's Hidden Gem. This week's Hidden Gem is season two of American Vandal, which is available from September 14 on Netflix. What did you think, Gavin? Well, I completely missed the first season of this Netflix mockumentary. That's right, mockumentary, not documentary. Uh, But you don't have to have seen it at all first time around to tune in for season two. All you need to know is that it pokes fun at the types of crime docos Netflix does so well. Evil Genius, The Staircase, all those shows that we love, this basically rips the piss out of them. It takes a seemingly ridiculous premise, in this case, uh, who spiked the cafeteria lemonade with laxatives, (laughs) and then follows the tried and true crime format as the case is investigated. And it's investigated quite thoroughly. It's all very straight-faced as the police come in and the police talk to camera and, you know, we tested the lemonade to find out what the laxatives were. And there's all this crime scene footage of, of the kids running to the bathrooms to unload there, you know, there, you know. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> the humour is kind of puerile, but that's also kind of the point. It's basically saying, you know, you really can make a, a Netflix true crime doco about anything and make it seem serious even when it's not. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's really quite funny, um, I thought. I, and there's, you know, there's a twist at the end of the first episode, the type of twist we got at the end of Evil Genius where you go, oh, my gosh, I need to watch the next one to find out what's going to happen. 
so yeah, it, mm. it's very much out of the Netflix doco playbook, and it really does send it up quite well. But I didn't see season one, Claire. I know you did. What did you think of season one? Yeah. Um, spoiler alert: the big crime in season one is who draw who drew a cock and balls on the teacher's car in the car park. <laughs> so it's kind of it's along the same lines. It's really silly. I actually think that I prefer the spoof episode in the most recent series of Kimmy Schmidt, where they do a little spoof um, crime mockumentary about the Reverend and why he ended up putting the girls in bunker. So for me, I won't be watching season two, even though I did have quite a chuckle at season one, mostly just because of the um, aforementioned private parts drawn on cars. Um, Yeah, it's worth a look if you like that kind of silly fun. That's it for another Binge List. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe on Apple or Google, and you can also now listen Listen to us on Spotify. Until next week, happy viewing, everyone. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.